welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. Let us open our Bibles to Psalm 4 this morning. This is the psalm that we will be speaking into. And I just want to open with this. I have a firm and confident belief that there is nothing more exposing and exhilarating as paintball. You, you guys don't believe me. I see, I see some confused faces in the, in the crowd. Like, what is going on? I promise you it is the most exposing and exhilarating thing called paintball. Let me tell you why. Let me, tell you. Let me give you a story why I have this statement as a conclusion. So a couple of weeks back, we were celebrating this champion of a man with all his effects. Nicholas at the back, our sound guy. Let's give him a hand real quick. Yeah. <laughs> we're celebrating his birthday and his beautiful wife did this gracious thing of inviting a couple of his friends to come and play paintball with him at one of the paintball rinks ranks here in Pretoria as you can see we're all geared up and if you need someone to go to war with you those are the guys that you choose you know what I'm saying and I remember going in there and mind you this was my second experience playing paintball let me take you back to my first experience scary it was intensely scary. I remember um, at some point while we were playing the game, someone shot me in the face. I'm serious. My face became a canvas for all the artists to paint on. Pow! I thought, wow. And from that point onwards, I was just afraid to step in any field. In my face, I was like, okay, I'm out. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Who wants to be voluntarily shot? I'm not. I'm moving out. So... <laughs> Now you can ask yourself the question, how did he end up the second time going into a paintball rink? We can thank God and the Holy Spirit for that. Or we can call it just my stupidity and naivety about being shot. But I had come with the memory of my first ever experience, which wasn't so great. It was very traumatic. And I'm going in and I'm like, I'm going to do this for my brother Nick. We're going in. So we play a couple of games right? And in those games, I'm discovering, you know, that, you know, when you're in a pinball rink, any, any of you been there, right? So there's relics and broken things and places to, you know, station yourself because you're going to ambush whoever's coming through. I find myself going to each and every one of those spaces, but not because I want a perfect place to shoot. I'm looking for a perfect place to hide. And I was like, yo, I was in angst. And I would shoot, you know, every once in a while. You know, there's a rule. You shoot three shots just to be like, I'm here. Ha ha. Can't come around here. There's danger. But I was looking for a place to hide. And whilst I'm popping up to shoot <laughs> my next shot, I see this guy pop up. <laughs> Some of you may know him as Jason. His name is actually Jay Kamikaze. 
Guys, I am telling you, I have never seen a more fearless man in my entire life. We were playing a game called Capture the Flag. Point of this game, there's a flag in the middle of the field, two teams on either side. Okay, listen, we need to get the flag. So you have to choose one guy to get the flag and the rest of us make sure that he gets there without being shot. I kid you not, y'all. I kid you not. Jason was just rushing through. We start the game, and in one minute, he has the flag and he's back. He's like, are we ready? Are we ready? Go, Jason. <laughs> Captures the flag, comes back, and I'm sitting behind my old relic bus, hiding, popping through, being like, where does this guy get the confidence to do that? Jason, you are my personal motivation, sir. Because right? I was sitting behind that relic just praying, Lord, give me the confidence just to get out of here so that my anxiety does not rob me of this great experience that I can be having with my friends. That's what anxiety does. It keeps us still. It keeps us in one place. And it is one of the things that we are facing most commonly in our lives today. I mean, we can all relate with some level of angst in our lives about some situation or area within our lives. And today, as we're diving into the Psalms in our series named Real Talk, we are diving into a book that is containing a myriad of situations that we can relate to and identify with. But not only that, we also believe that the Psalms can teach us how to pray through those situations. And today we're doing exactly that. Because the Psalms are filled with so much raw emotion. It's not half-assed or um, it's not a held-back emotion. And it asks real spiritual questions of our lives. We can journey through the Psalms in, in, in helping us to pray through the toughest times. That's why we named the series Real Talk. It's not about talking airy-fairy things. It's about telling God the deep things that trouble us the most. And the spiritual question that we're going to be speaking through today that is born just from anxiety, is this. What do prayers of confidence look like when we are anxious? And it's crazy. It seems like those two words that build up the sentence, confidence and anxiety, are totally opposite concepts. You can't be confident and have anxiety. Anxiety can't rule where there is confidence. But they do have a common denominator. They do have something that they share in common, and that is we either have confidence or anxiety based on whether we have, uh, or based on the presence or the absence of security in our lives. So let's just unpack those words a bit, because we're going to be speaking about them and speaking about how in the psalm, the psalmist prayed until he'd reached the point of confidence and what he reached. Um, he placed his confidence in where he found his security. So confidence in its definition here, it says, it is the belief or the feeling that one can rely on or have faith in their own condition and the state of their surroundings. AKA, Jay Kamikaze running through the field, confident that he won't get shot. <laughs> and then we can contrast that to anxiety. It is the an intense emotion, persistent and excessive worry um, of fear or concern that one experiences regarding their own condition or the state of their surroundings. This is me behind the relic bus, hoping that no one shoots me. Um, pro tip, 
Never stay in the same position. You will get shot. Um, so um, when we have confidence, we see that it enables us to forge forward because we feel secure. We are unencumbered. We don't feel like that anything can stand in our way. We can make it through. Whereas anxiety, on the other hand, arises when we no longer have security. We start feeling insecure, whether it be about ourselves or our situations. It challenges what we have confidence in. It asks the question, where is your security? Why don't I feel secure? And then encumbers us from moving. It's a paralyzing feeling. It's like, what can I do next? What now? And I'm sure we can all relate to that feeling. And I'm sure that David could also relate to that same feeling. But his, conste- his context is a bit different. Um, whereas we are facing anxiety regarding, you know, the future of our country, that's a real anxiety. Our personal finances, that's a real anxiety. Our relationships, our families, our children. There are moments in time where we struggle with anxiety regarding those things. But in David's context, here in Psalm 4, we look at David, and I just want to share a bit of the context of where David was finding himself as he was writing and penning the psalm. So David, he had just become king, he was ruling for a couple of years, had three children, one of them was Absalom, his third, children, his third child, and it was his favorite child. And at some point during this time, Absalom started rebelling against David. And I'm not talking about the rebellion as you tell your child, go to your room, and they're like, I'm not going to my room. No, it was him trying to stage a coup to take over his father's throne. So Absalom had formed this conspiracy, gained some support in it, and David found out about it. And then him and a couple of men that were loyal to him fled. They left Jerusalem. Absalom can now take the throne with the people that he had gathered support and solicited support with. And then one of his advisors during his undertaking of the throne advised him that if you really want to put an end to this, if you really want to win the entire city and the nation of Israel over to your side, there's one thing you have to do, and that is to bring the head of your father back to Jerusalem. That's not a euphemism. David's own son had set out now to kill his own father so he could claim the throne. Thus began began the, the pursuit of David's life and those who were with him. So this is a deep, dark moment. David is fleeing. He's in the desert, hiding in the cave. And it's evening when he's about to sleep that he starts praying the psalm that we're about to read to. So picture that just for a moment. Your life is being pursued. You feel closed in. You don't know when the enemy is going to reach you, when he's going to capture you. That's a feeling of anxiety. It's paralyzing. So let's read together Psalm 4 and see how David journeys through his anxiety to find confidence and to pray a prayer of confidence. Can we read with me? Psalm 4 in the CSB reads, Answer me when I call, God, who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. 
The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while you are in your bed and be silent. Offer sacrifices in righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when, they, when their grain and new wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. What a beautiful ending to this. What an upbringing ending. This psalm, David moves in three movements in this psalm. He addresses three points or three persons in this psalm, in four movements. In the first part where he says, Answer me when I call God, who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He's addressing the Lord. Then he turns to his enemies in that sense. And he addresses them and he says, how long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Then David turns to himself in that moment and addresses himself. And he says, be angry and do not sin. It sounds as if he's saying, be angry, O David, but do not sin from this. Reflect in your heart while you lie in your bed and be silent. Offer sacrifices and righteousness and trust in the Lord. Then he speaks to God again. And he says, many are asking, who can show us anything good? Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. And as solace to himself, he says, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. In this piece of scripture, we see that David does identify with us. Or we can identify with David in his time of anxiousness. Another translation would speak of David saying that he felt hemmed in. The NET says, when I call out, answer me, O God who vindicates me. Though I'm hemmed in, you lead me to a wide and open place. Have mercy on me and respond to my prayer. He's already communicating to God that he's deeply anxious. So let's just take steps in and look at how David approached his anxiety through the psalm. In the first movement, when I call out, answer me, Lord, O God who vindicates me, though I am hemmed in, you lead me into a wide open space. Have mercy on me and respond to my prayer. We see that David not just approaches God with some practiced prayer. He approaches God with a passionate prayer at hand. And the purpose for this prayer is to stir himself up as Isaiah would would speak of it. He'd be stirring himself up to take a hold of God in this moment. He sees that prayer is his best recourse in this time. I can only imagine your life is being pursued. You could go at any moment and your first response is to go into prayer. David already trusts that God is the only one who can relieve him. He says there, you will lead me into a wide open space, even though I'm hemmed in. Have mercy on me and respond to my prayer. It didn't matter how David found himself in that position. 
how sin might have changed his environment or his internal environment to put him in a place of angst. Whether it was his fault that his son was rebelling um, and as a consequence, God was allowing that. Um, he didn't know whether that was the truth. His son had turned by his own. He was still trying to figure out whether his son had turned by his own and God was allowing him to be the collateral of that turning. Or the world in its brokenness regarding power, having a broken narrative of power, had corrupted his son. And just because he was the king, he became the target of that corruption in his son. It didn't matter what sin had done to bring him into a point of anxiousness. He trusted that God would see him through in those moments. And in our lives, we find ourselves, when we approach God, we don't fully express how we feel at first. We don't want to step in and, 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 and allow God to see our hearts regarding the situations that we are in. We want to practice prayer. But I want to encourage you this morning that God doesn't want to hear the word of your lips. He wants to hear the statement or the position of your heart. It is an imperative for us to passionately express to God how we feel. To know that he's still approachable, regardless of how we have landed here. Because there are three ways that sin can enter our lives. One is self-composed by us. That's when we've done something, a mistake that we've committed, because yes, we are human beings and we make mistakes sometimes. But it brings us into a position that might lead us into a state of anxiousness. Or it could be a sin imposed by others. We do live in a broken world and there are things that are done against us that might bring us angst. Or it could be the sin that is disposed in the world. Because we live in a broken world, it is not working at its most um, absolute potential. We are constantly working to bring the goodness of God into this world as believers. But yes, things like the economy not working out because we have a, a, a government that is corrupt is a part of that brokenness that brings angst to us. Like, you know, the load shedding that's about to happen in 10 minutes, just a reminder there. But irregardless of where we might find ourselves because of sin, we shouldn't allow it to create a perceived reality that is opposite to the true reality. And that's also what David did not allow. He knew that God would respond to him. He knew that he could approach God. You see, what, 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 what sin does when it infiltrates our life, whether it comes from by us, by others, or through the state of our world, is that it creates a perceived reality that, or a perceived distance between us and God. And that's making him unapproachable when we are facing these hard times. And I want to encourage you to take a step in the direction that David was taking a step. He understood that irregardless of the sin that was either committed against him by his son, this was not enough to prevent him from approaching God in prayer and seeking him out. We see there in verse 2 and 3, he says, realize that the Lord shows the godly special favor, that God would respond to his prayer when he says, the Lord responds when I cry out to him. David didn't allow his circumstances to take his perceived reality away from the truth, that he was still one set apart for God. He lists himself as godly, that he could still approach God as a godly son, and then that God had deep concern to him, about him and could respond to his prayer, as we see in the psalm. 
The next step is that David addresses himself. In the CSB, it says, be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while you lie in bed and be silent. Offer the prescribed sacrifice in righteousness and trust in the Lord. I love this part as David is reflecting on himself. He starts off by saying, be angry and do not sin. Sometimes we find ourselves in these positions and we want to avoid the emotion of angst before we approach God. I can't be anxious when I approach God. Or I cannot feel this anxiousness, otherwise I'll live my life based on it. But David here chooses his first response to be, um, he doesn't allow the first response of this to be out of the emotion that he's feeling. It doesn't mean that he's negated how he feels. This is how he feels. He declares to God in, 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 in the first verse, Lord, I feel hemmed in. But he doesn't allow that to be the place from which he reacts. He responded in prayer, but did not react in according to his emotions. This is where prayer becomes very helpful to us. When we approach God in prayer regarding our situations, it prevents us, if, if we approach God in prayer as a respond as a response to our situations. It prevents us from reacting out of our situations. It brings us to a place of stillness where we can then meditate on truths about God in these times. The next thing that David does when he says, reflect in your heart while you are on your bed and be silent, is that he meditates on the truth about God. As we all know David's story, he has a history with God. He has seen God's faithfulness and he has heard from his people, his community about who God is and allows that to seep in and thinks about that and keeps his mind on the things that are above, as the scriptures say. When reflecting on this, he does it as a response as to again align his perceived reality with the truth. Here is the truth. I serve a God who has delivered me. I serve a God who has delivered my people. I can rely on him for this. In moments of stillness, when we approach in prayer, it is so important for us, Dr. Day Hatfield, to take time to devote ourselves to God's word, the teachings from his word, and the community and the testimony of the community, as to keep our hearts centered around him in all ways. Then the next thing that David does in this part is that he commits in the midst of the situation to act in ways that keep him in right standing with God. Act in ways that acknowledge that he's been brought in right standing with God when he says, offer the prescribed sacrifice and righteousness and trust in the Lord. When we make sure that we live in a way that is, 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 is acknowledging the intimate knowledge that we have about God. We're living in the wisdom that David had shared with his son Solomon. In Proverbs 3, 6, he says, um, Solomon says to us, which is a wisdom he had borrowed from his father, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. We see that Solomon's father had already practiced this in Psalm 4 when he says, offer, offer the prescribed sacrifices and trust 
in the Lord. He's referring to living our ways, living in all our ways to acknowledge who God is. And the word known in the book of Proverbs 3, um, verse 6, the word know there is the word, the Hebrew word yada, which is the intimate knowledge. It's not just the head knowledge that we are living from. It's a heart knowledge. It's a personal knowledge. And when we obey this knowledge and we live in accordance to this knowledge, there's two things that happen. One, we are able to identify ourselves with the righteousness that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And secondly, we prevent sin from taking us away from that position of righteousness that we've been given in Christ. When we live in accordance to God's way, when we obey him, we, we, we protect our perception about where we stand with God as to know that he's always available to us in the deepest and darkest of moments and we can always turn to him rather than allowing sin to infiltrate our life and create that perceptive distance that doesn't allow us to connect with God. So my encouragement is that as you're waiting for the solution, because usually we'd want to react out of this place of angst, whether with anger, with fear, distrust, all these things that do not reflect the heart of God, those things might just pull us away from God. My encouragement is that we stay as David did living in the ways of God so that we can trust him. It's easier to trust him when you are closer to him. It is easier to trust him when you know that he's beside you. Then you can lean on him. Then he, as he says, because Proverbs 3, 6 is not just a statement of wisdom, it's a promise. If we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will make our path straight. And we can trust in that. Even though we don't know what tomorrow looks like, we can trust that he'll make I'll pass straight. And then finally, David addresses the Lord in new countenance. You remember that we, we spoke about David having escaped with a bunch of men that um, were loyal to him in that time. And the talk of the town was, listen man, this is a bad, bad situation. It's dire. David wasn't the only one who was facing anxiety. As a community, as where you're sitting, you're not the only one who's facing the types of anxieties that you might have. Um, there's a community that might be facing that with you. And he's reflecting on the talk of his group at the time when he says, many say, who can show us anything good? That is the talk of the town. But this is what David knows. He says, smile upon us, Lord. You make me happier than those who have abundant grain and new wine. From the meditations and the devotion to God's word and taking time to spend time in his truth, remembering that, sitting and meditating, and I'm not talking about crossing your legs, but constantly thinking on the truth of God. He knows that God's goodness will see him through. In every story that he's heard, in the stories that he's experienced himself, he has seen the goodness of God. And he knows if God's face has turned toward him, has turned toward him and the people that he's with, then he will see them through. And he sources this, this saying of smile upon us, or in the CSB it says, let the light of your face shine on us. From an ancient blessing that was uttered by the Israelites as they were going through city and city that was created by Aaron in the book of Numbers. We know this blessing because in our deepest time of angst, it was probably one of the most popular songs 
in the entire planet. Um, the blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and bring you peace. If God could turn his face towards David and his men, David understood and had the confidence that he would bring him peace. Because we serve a good God. We too have that same confidence that Paul touches on in Romans 8, verse 25 to 28, when he says, For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with endurance. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And our purpose that we've been called is to be bearers of his image upon our creation. And he works the things to the good of those who are called according to his purpose, to those who love him. We can have the confidence that God's face is shining upon us and that his goodness would work our situations to the good. Then finally, after he's reflected, gathered the stories that remind him the truth about God, he sees that if I know this God, the same God that has delivered me, and it's not just a story that David thought up while he was lying down. It's a culmination of truths that he's experienced. Let's, let's walk a bit into his life. So David, shepherd boy, young man, looking after his flock, and he faced, I, I want to say giants, but we're getting to the giant. He faced a lot of adversaries trying to take a hold of his flock. I can imagine what David was thinking when he was protecting his father's flock and a bear comes or a lion comes. I don't know about you guys. If a bear comes to my crib, I'm out. I'm gone, cuz. If a lion shows up, I play him the Lion King. I tell him, listen, Mufasa, and I'm out. <laughs> but David could take a moment and reflect on the stories that his people used to speak about. There was a God who had freed his people from Egypt, split the sea to lead them out, and shepherded them through the desert, providing and protecting for them every day. If this is the God that is watching over me, then I know he can empower me to protect my flock. He defeats the lion. He defeats the bear. Then comes the biggest story that David has. It's the craziest one. Later on in his life, the Philistines had come in and they were challenging the Israelites, you know, because conquest was a big thing back in the day. That's how kingdoms showed their strength and the strength of their God. And the Philistines had called out that Israel and the Philistines would select a champion and the champions would be the ones that fight for one another. I don't know if you guys have seen Troy by any chance. That opening scene, you know, Brad Pitt, he's sleeping and slumbering. And then all of a sudden, he has to be the champion for his nation. So the Philistines had Goliath. And guys, Goliath was a mammoth of a man. I mean, I'm tall. Please don't call me the Goliath. Um, 
but he was a mammoth of a man standing and making a mockery of Israel and their God because Israel was so anxious they wouldn't be able to stand forward. And here's what David does. I remember the words that he spoke to Solomon. I know that my God who delivered me from the bear and the lion will deliver us. So I'll step up. Look at where David is placing his confidence. He makes it even more clear when he approaches Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, David says to Goliath, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord. A name in Hebrew is not just what you call God. When Hebrew people speak about name, they speak about reputation. What I know about God to be true is how I am approaching you and this is what I'm going to be fighting you with. It's not David's skill with the sling and the stone. The man's picked five stones. Only one won the battle. It was the first one. He had not come in his skill and his experience. He came in the knowledge of the Father and that is where his confidence lies. That's my encouragement to you guys. My encouragement is that may our confidence in times of anxiousness lie not in what we have, not in our situations, but in the reputation of the God that we serve. If you need testimony, here's a community. There are stories that reveal the character of God in beautiful ways that you can lean on in this time. If you have your own testimonies, call on that. We have the scriptures that testify about who God is. We can stand on that. So that our confidence is not in the resolution of our situation or the resolution of ourselves, but in the God that we're standing upon and knowing that he is faithful enough to see us through. And that is what David does when he says, I will lie down and sleep peacefully for you, Lord, Make me safe and secure. My confidence is that you, God, are my safety and my security. I'd like us to step into a moment of prayer together. As we said in the series, we are praying through the Psalms. So one of the things that we are doing is we're taking a portion of the Psalm and we're going to pray together regarding it. And I want to encourage us, and I want to encourage each and every one of you, if there's a place of anxiety that you might be feeling, even if it's the smallest, to think upon that and then to call on God for who he is regarding that place. If there's something you're worried about, something you're afraid about, to call on God on what that is. And if you don't know what to call on, there's a neighbor next to you. Ask them, listen, man, I'm going through this. What about God do you know that I haven't discovered yet? I want to call on that and trust him that he will see me through the situation that I'm in right now. I would like to lead us in a prayer and then we can turn to one another and pray together. Okay, let's close our eyes. Father God, we thank you that you hear us when we call and we approach you that you are faithful to respond in accordance to your character. Lord, in a time where there's so much angst surrounding our future, the future of our country, maybe even personally and deeply in our hearts, we're experiencing anxieties regarding our own capabilities, 
that are paralyzing us. God, may we reflect on your sovereignty. A God that nothing escapes you, nothing is above your hand. That you are strong enough to see us through. You are strong enough to enable us. You are strong enough, O Lord, to enable us to work in and through us in this situation. We are not alone where we are found. We can turn to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we put our trust in who you are. In who you are. In Jesus' name.